I want to thank all of you who are with us today, not only in person, but online. And I believe you're going to receive a blessing. I want to ask you in this coming week to join me in a prayer. I'll be praying every day. I'll be praying for a lot of our young people who we've sent this weekend. We've sent some young people to Little Rock, Arkansas to do a VBS in a park for inner city children. We're sending young people from all three of our campuses, West Fort Worth, South Lake, and North Richland Hills, to Moore, Oklahoma, to help uh, in the recovery from the devastation of the horrible tornado. And if you'll read that connect sheet every week, you'll see that almost every week this summer we'll be sending young people. Uh, a group to Royal Families Kid Camp next week, or to camp, or to other mission trips in Rio Dosa or New York City. And I just would ask you to pray throughout the summer, because we want to be a church that sins, and we want young people to have early experiences of being salt and light around the world for the mission of God. But we also want to be a church that gathers young people, and we will gather many this week. We're about to start Summer Spectacular. The first session is tonight, Monday and Tuesday. The second session is Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And we will have thousands of people on this campus. And over half of the registered people are not members of our church. And some of them, we know, have never heard the story of God at all. And we're thankful to God that He is trusting us as a place to gather young people to hear the story of God. So would you pray about that too? Because it's a tremendous privilege and opportunity. Now, in conjunction with Summer Spectacular, I'm starting a short series on the life of Joseph today. And what's going to happen is that each night of Summer Spectacular, I will do a unique new teaching on the life of Joseph. So I hope you're coming to Summer Spectacular. If not, I want you to go online and watch the lessons because we're going to be covering his life tonight and the next several nights. So that when you come back next weekend for Father's Day weekend, we'll have covered all the story to the return of Jacob and Jacob's blessing on his sons. It'll be a powerful text for a Father's Day weekend. But that's where we'll be and I don't want you to get behind. So try to stay up with us and we're going to understand the power of holding on to a dream. I thought about that this week as I remembered the story and the reason I remembered the story was because this last Thursday was a special day for me. This last Thursday my wife and I celebrated our 32nd anniversary and on the same day I celebrated the 24th anniversary of the time that I came to this church to become their new preaching minister. So you can do the math. I got married when I was 10 and came to this church when I was 18 and it's been quite a ride. Now, my wife, when it comes to things like anniversary gifts and Valentine's Day, she is very low maintenance, which I'm so thankful for because I'm a clod at those things. But I'm remembering a story of a couple, and it's their anniversary. And at breakfast, she says to her husband, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that tonight for our anniversary, I was going to get an expensive diamond necklace. What could be the meaning of that dream? And he smiled and said, I bet tonight you find out. And so that night at supper, he handed a gift across the table. It was 
uh, wrapped quite extravagantly. And as she unwrapped it and she lifted the lid, inside was a box. And in the box was a book. And the book said, The Meaning of Dreams. (laughs) The story of Joseph hinges on the meaning of a dream. And maybe that's why he gets more space in Genesis than anybody else. Thirteen chapters devoted to Joseph. He gets more space in the Old Testament than everybody except Moses and David. Because the Holy Spirit deemed it important to know about the boy, the dream. So let's meet him, chapter 37 of Genesis, starting in verse 2. Joseph... A young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they Hated him. Listen for that phrase. And they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, we are reading about the most important family in the history of the world. That's a pretty bold statement. And if you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, I just want you to hang with me. But if you do believe the Bible is actually the Word of the living God, then what I said was true. This is the most important family in the history of the world. And what God does in this family consistently is refused to play by the rules when it comes to leadership. Because the rules in that day said the oldest son should be the leader. Now, I am an oldest son, and that's a good rule as far as I'm concerned. But God is constantly tossing that rule aside all through the Old Testament. Moses was not the oldest son, but he was the leader. David was not the oldest son. He was the leader. In fact, Joseph's daddy, Jacob, was not the oldest son, but he was the one God chose. And God sovereignly chose Joseph to play the key role 
in the next chapter of the most important family in the history of the world. And he did it through dreams. Joseph had a dream that he and his brothers were out in the field and they were gathering sheaves of grain. And his sheaf stood up and theirs bowed down. And it doesn't take a genius to interpret the meaning of that dream. Then he had another dream that this time the stars and the sun and moon representing his parents bowed down to him. Now, dreams don't mean much in our culture. If I have a dream, it probably just means I had Mexican food for supper. But in their culture, dreams were messages from God. Remember Daddy Jacob. Out at Bethel, goes to sleep one night in the field, head on a rock, and he has a dream. And in that dream, he sees a ladder and angels coming up and down and God at the top saying, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless nations through you. And I'm going to bring you back to this land and your people and your family are in my plans for the blessing of the world. And those boys had heard the story of daddy's ladder dream 100 times times. So it's a big deal when Joseph says, I had a dream. He's already daddy's favorite. When daddy made him that ornamented robe, that's not just clothing. That's a statement about position. Because in those days, you didn't wear nice, fine robes to work. That's what the boss wore. What daddy is saying is, I want you boys out in the field doing the work, and I'm going to let Joseph be the supervisor. And he was, and he brought back a bad report of his brothers. So, number one, they don't like him because he's the favorite. Number two, they don't like him because as far as they're concerned, he threw them under the bus. And now, he has a dream? As far as they're concerned, his dream is their nightmare. And they intend to snuff it out. So they think to themselves, how can we get rid of Joseph but make it seem like an accident? And they come up with an idea. Starting in verse 18, Jacob has sent Joseph to check on his brothers. And it says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. This sounds familiar. 
This is Cain and Abel, the sequel. The Bible is honest over and over about the reality that sometimes the most dangerous place you can be is around people that have the same last name. Some of you grew up in a home with a long hatred ledger. I'm going to be blunt. Some of you hate people in your family. You are jealous of them and can't think a good thought about them. And you need to admit that and own that and call that the sin that God calls it. Because that kind of hatred not only will poison your family, but it will wind up, if it stays unconfessed and unaddressed, it will wind up wounding people in your family that you don't hate. You see, they thought we would just ship Joseph away. And they sent him into slavery, not realizing they were going to send their daddy into grief for years. And they hadn't thought about that. And so they take his coat and they dip it in some blood of a goat they had slaughtered. And they tried to explain their little ruse to dad. Verse 34, then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. And meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And it appears that Joseph has dreamed the impossible dream. And so why does the Bible focus so much on Joseph? It's because Joseph focuses so much on God. His story is going to remind us that life is hard. And it is often unfair. And the very best dreams can be put on hold. And most people get bitter. But some get better. And the ones that get better do so because they have a bigger God. And here's the theme of his life. I'll give it to you at the start. If your take on God is right, your take on life can be right. No matter what life takes. Because life takes Joseph lost a lot. Life took his family, his status, his freedom, his reputation. So why did bitterness never take over his heart? Why did disappointment never metastasize into cynicism? 
It's because Joseph had a take on God that he would not allow circumstances to take away. At the end of his life, he summarizes his take on life. In chapter 50, verse 20 of Genesis, he says to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And over and over, when life would throw curveballs Joseph's way, he would just remember those two words, but God. That's why he could hold on to the impossible dream. But God. His God was not just sovereign some of the time in some of the places in the world. He was sovereign over everything that was threatening to take that dream under. You intended it for evil, but God intended. And that word intend comes from a Hebrew word that means weave. Joseph said, my God is the original dream weaver. And he can take everything you intend and life intends. He can take what life takes. And he can weave it into a story that keeps the dream alive. That was his take. And that's why resentment and bitterness never took root in his heart. Now, here's the thing. You have a take. You do. You may not have verbalized it. You never, may not have ever consciously articulated it. But you are navigating life with some kind of perspective. You have a take on life. And whatever that take is helps explain whether or not you have held on to God's dream. Because the dream has a lot of challenges. One of them is the put down of family. This is the most important family in the history of the world. And this family tree has a serious case of blight. These guys could have had their own reality TV show. You know what? Most of our families could too. Do any of us need to be in the stone-tossing business when it comes to family? I don't. On both sides of my family, there's alcoholism, drug addiction. Divorce, imprisonment, abuse. There's enough skeletons in our closets. I don't need to be throwing stones at anybody's family. I doubt you do either. Sin, cover up. Generational fallout. This is not new. But for some of you, it's been hard to take. God did not cause 
the hurt in your family. God did not will the sin in your family. But God, but God can use what is even outside of His will to bring about the dream that He has willed for you. Some families put their own in a pit, but you can't be put down so far that God can't pull you out. And God can start with you and create a new future for your family. But no matter what your family was like, the dream still has challenges from what I just called the rundown of life. For the next 13 years, Joseph's life is going to be put on hold as he just experiences disappointment squared. When our youngest, Matthew, was in first grade, Jamie was putting him to bed one night. And Matthew liked school. He did not like having to go every day to school. And she was trying to cheer his spirit about the reality that the next day he would have to go to school. When finally he rolled his eyes and just said, Mom, you just don't know what it's like in my world. Well, actually, he spoke some truth. You don't know what it's like in my world. There are some chapters in my story that you don't want in yours. And there are some chapters in your story that would break my heart if I knew them. Life is hard. And it takes faith to deal with all that life takes. Paul put it this way. We have troubles all around us, but we're not defeated. We do not know what to do. But we do not give up the hope of living. We're persecuted. But God does not leave us. We're hurt sometimes, but we're not destroyed. He's got the same take as Joseph. Life is hard, but God, because here's the deal. You have a take on life. It's probably one of two. Either You're saying, here's my junk, and here's my stuff, and here's all the mess I've dealt with, and because of that, this is how I look at God. Or, here's my God, here's what I know of Him, here's what I believe about Him, and because of that, here's how I look at my circumstances. You've got to take on life. And Joseph's take 
was that God's with me. I have not lost his presence and his plan and his dream, even when it looks like I've lost everything else. And the increase of difficulty didn't decrease his confidence in God. He held on to that dream. Even when it felt like sometimes God had let go of him. Because maybe the dream's biggest challenge is what I call the letdown of faith. Joseph, if anyone did, had reasons to argue that sometimes faith just doesn't deliver. Because over and over, he does the right thing and gets done wrong. He tells the truth. And all he got was betrayal. When he's tempted sexually, he chooses purity. And all that got him was prison. And in prison, he is kind and does the right thing to guys who deserve to be there when he does it. And all it got him was being forgotten. But you see, Joseph was different than many of us. His relationship to God was not contractual. And here's what I mean. A lot of people, maybe some of you, see a relationship with God like this. Okay, God, I will be good. And you will fill in the blank. I will be good, and you will get me a fine person to marry. I will be good, and you will get me a better job. I will be good, and you will make sure my kids never get in trouble. I will be good, and you will make sure the doctor calls and says it's negative. And if that's your take on God, faith is going to let you down. But that wasn't Joseph's take. You could have gone to Joseph in prison and said, oh, where's your God? And he would have said, on the throne, where he has always been. He believed that the contingencies of history and even his story... Works not outside of the weaving of God. So that the purposes of God would come and the dream of God would be fulfilled. There's a verse I have a love-hate relationship with in Isaiah. God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I'm the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I love that. 
that God is my Savior. But why does he keep having to use the word through? Why does God love the word through? Why can't it say, and when you come to the floods, I will take you around it. And when you come to the fire, we'll turn around and go the other way. Why do we keep having to go through it? But you see, Joseph's take was. God can weave flood and flame into a masterpiece for me. Let me introduce you to a modern day Joseph. Her name is Christine Kane. She's from Australia, but she's gone all over the world fighting the sex slave industry. Meeting presidents and parliaments. Standing up to organized crime. How did she get there? When she was 30 years old, she found out that she'd been adopted. She never knew. She learned about her biological parents, that her mother was from Greece. All she had was a first name. On the box it said father's name, it just said unknown. And on the box it said her name, it just read unnamed. She was birth number 2508. Literally, she was just a number. But she was adopted into a loving family, right? Wrong. For 12 years, she was sexually abused. Experiencing evil, horrific evil. That no child should ever have to learn about. Every reason to be bitter. Cynical. But she's not. Because somehow in those years she found the Lord. And she found a life verse from Isaiah 49.1. You knit me in my mother's womb. And even before I was born. You knew my name. And her take was, God has always known me. God has always had a name for me. So God put on her heart a dream to do all she could to rescue girls from what she had been through. And she has saved hundreds of girls around the world. And what the enemy intended for evil, God has turned into the good and the saving of many lives. Because she had the right take. Now, here's the deal. Right now, either you are in a pit or you're about to be in a pit or you just got out of a pit. That's called life. But here's a good thing about pits. They force you to look up. You don't get to choose most 
of your circumstances. You always get to choose your take on them. And Joseph's take was that my God is not idle, even when life forces me to be. So I have a question for you. Will I hold on to God when it seems my life is on hold? Because God's not going to give up on his dream for you. Because it's the same dream he had for Joseph. That your life would result in the saving of many lives. That your life would be a blessing to many people, including those not yet born. That your life will lead awake behind. And the world will be better and people will be saved because you held on to God's dream. So don't let go. Even when it seems impossible. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Life is hard. But God. So don't get bitter. Get better. Because I promise you're going to like how the story ends. So I'm asking God now, in Jesus' name I'm asking, that you open up the heart of every person that needs this word today. There are people listening to me right now, and they are angry at people they need to be loving. And you're going to have to help them get over some hard things to get to a better place, God. There are some people here that just feel trapped. Life has taken a lot. Help them, God, to look up and to believe that you can weave even what they're going through right now into an incredible story. And some of us, God, we've just accepted mediocrity when you believe that every one of us can have an impact. And so give us a renewed capacity to dream of the difference one single sold out life make because we believe that if we hold on God it will honor Christ and save many lives so for his glory we ask this amen so please stand our prayer teams are going to be down front many have come this weekend just saying pray for me I don't want to stay where I am. Some have come and said, I want to accept Christ. I want to be baptized. I want to start a new and better future. Let God finish this story. Please come.